Welcome to the Exchange for the Exchange podcast, where we exchange ideas about current events, pop culture, and theology. And we are on air, boys. Okay. You are live. For the record, Josh Pinnell is laughing. Nikolai Carpathia. (laughs) So gentle. Wow. I don't even know what Alex is going to say at this point. Welcome to the Exchange Podcast. It is so good to have uh, all of you with us. It is so good to be broadcasting to the throng for the second week in a row. Boys, I feel like our relationship has grown, has matured, has aged, I would say, well through the through this struggle. Boys, how, how are you doing? Do you feel the same about that? Here. Dude, I feel like the difference between us is like the difference between like a Baptist and a Presbyterian. Mm, I'm like, like fiery, kind of. Right. Dan, how about, how about you, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> I think that I try to express listener concerns and you guys are extrapolating my I feel triggered. I feel triggered. Dude, that should be our slogan for the podcast. I feel triggered. Dude, I'm cool with that. You know, nothing exciting happening. Just uh partying hard, waking up, sobering up, going to work, partying hard again. <laughs> you can't say that out of here, dude. Over and over. <laughs> Starting to feel a little vacant. <laughs> You've gotten past the the honeymoon stage of partying, right? And now it's just a lifestyle. Buyer's remorse a little bit. Yeah, I understand. That. I mean, I'm at the point that I don't know what it's like to not party. You want to move away from it, but you're a little afraid. You're a little afraid that it's that it's taken a bigger part of you than you than you originally hoped. And now it might now it might be too late. Everyone in the world has been there at one point in their lives. Do you, do we have topics at all today? <laughs> Dude, we do not. We do not have topics. No, we have topics. Dude, hit me with a topic, Alex. Well, well, I hit you with the topic last week, and I told you that we'd be coming back to it. And that question is, are there types of music, genres, or certain artists, or certain songs that Christians should not listen to? And I, I warned you about this, and I was promised an answer. And, I, and I'm, I'm here. I'm here for my, for my answer. It, it, the time of reckoning is upon us. And I want this answer. And Daniel, I'm going to throw it to you first. I believe that there is not. Okay. Okay. Quote unquote. Now, the the way that I understand music is that it's there, and that we didn't create music; we just imitate it. And so, however we use that music will maybe change that answer. But objectively speaking, it's something that's transcendent, something that's out of our hands, and we can just do our best attempt to mimic rhythms and tempos and sounds and notes because of its mere existence. There's nothing really immoral about different genre, like any kind of genre of music. Okay. Now you can are, use are, music to do bad things, but the music itself is not immoral. Are there artists that Christians should not listen to? I think the better question would be is are there artists who do a better job with music? Not necessarily other artists Christians should not listen to. Because I, I think so. my automatic answer would be no. But then like I think I'm, I'm I would end up running across a few like I already see a few problems uh with that. But what are those problems? I think well there's so much intent involved. So like, you know, if you're playing Kendrick Lamar's new album in your youth group, <laughs> I can already see how that would be a problem. But if I'm listening to Kendrick Lamar's new album at home, I don't see how that's a problem. Let's just let's just take let's just take context out of it. It's only you in your headphones. Dude, Alex is pressing you, is man. Any, he wants an answer. Is there any time where you would think to yourself or you should think to yourself, you know what, I should probably turn this off? Yes, there are those times. And like, what what makes you say that? This sounds kind of weird, but I think there's there's certain emotions attached to each song. There's just some songs are not healthy 
to listen to sometimes. So you're not saying that the music is objective, as in this music objectively for everyone is always is always wrong to listen to. But you're saying that the way that it makes you respond is. So you could be listening to one song and have a negative response and need to turn it off. And somebody could be listening to a different song but have the same negative response. And for them, they need to turn that song off. Is that what you're saying? I think I got myself into a rabbit hole, Alex. I'm not sure what I'm saying. <laughs> the answer I gave you initially is as far as I can confidently go. There, I mean, there are people who have studied this in the academic world, regardless of their religious background. It, it is so hard. It is so hard to to come up with because people are so different and they react so different to different genres that it's a lot easier to say, well, this is the message from this artist, so I'm not going to to interact or listen to that. Most Christians that I do know, that's that's how they they filter out their music. And that's very simplistic, and I think that that's fine. I, I That's not how I interact with music, but I, I think that that's fine, and I think it's healthy. You know, what you what's not in your life is not going to affect you. So Yeah, you just don't necessarily adapt it yourself. Yeah, and just know, man, I'm not pressing you because I disagree with you. Let's, uh, let's throw it over to the man. Yeah, so I have been thinking about this this week. I think we have to ask ourselves, what does the Bible say, not about what you do, but what you hear? Like, does the Bible have anything to say about what you listen to? Psalm 1 came to mind. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Proverbs 1 also comes to mind. If sinners entice you, do not consent. If you're consistently listening to people who are speaking and acting contradictory to the Bible, then that's a sin, and it can be enticing. So I know that's not objective, that's super subjective, but I think a lot of Christianity is kind of subjective, too. It's objective with the principle of how it's relating to the person. Yeah. It's not objective when it comes to every song, every person listening to it is a sin. So does that mean that like I could listen to a song that you couldn't listen to? Yeah, maybe. Um, well, I would say like if you're if you're consistent diet of music, like if you're listening to uh, just just off the top of my head, if you're listening to Snoop Dogg consistently, you were you were so you you were so old, Josh. You were so, so old. <laughs> and he's coming out with a new album. Did you see that? It's a gospel gospel choir album that's the only reason i thought of him he posted something on his instagram about how he's wait you follow his instagram (laughs) (laughs) i do i do do not no no it was (laughs) that's the real shocker josh i do not i do not dude that that blew me in the last week man (laughs) i do not follow snoop dogg on instagram uh it was from his instagram shared on facebook you're like so you follow snoop dogg on facebook i follow i follow someone on facebook who follows snoop dogg on instagram my point being if alex were consistently listening to a certain artist who was singing about drugs and sex and swearing and things like on like a daily basis i think that that is grounds for me to confront him and say hey don't walk do not walk in the way of foolishness walk in the way of wisdom do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly and i think that you're doing those things by listening like it would be grounds for me to come to him and say why are you doing this i think this is foolishness and potentially sin and what sort of response would placate you dude you know i don't speak spanish Mm, what sort of response would ease your mind Dude, I don't know. I can't I can't think of one. Okay, what you're saying then is not about the music. What you are saying then is the lyrical content of music. Yeah. I think that clarifies a lot. So you're not speaking of genre, you're speaking of message. Rhythms themselves are amoral. Genres themselves are amoral. Christ took an instrument of death and made it into an instrument of life. And so there's nothing wrong with a Christian taking a genre that's associated with things that are anti, you know, the blessed life. 
you know, that is associated with results of the curse and taking that and making them an instrument of life. What would you guys say to someone who, let's say they, they took a genre like jazz music and they said jazz music. And, and listen, I'm not a musician. I don't know. I don't know this new fangled music. But I do know the word. Okay, so, hey. <laughs> <laughs> they said, how can you say genre is amoral when jazz music set out to break all the rules? That sounds pretty moral. What is, well, first of all, you have to ask them, what in the, what do you mean by they set out to break all the rules? I think if they're speaking musically, that's one way to look at it. But I would say it's more improvised, imp- improvisation yeah. than it is rebellion. Because jazz came from the big band age. It's not, it wasn't, we want to be angry. I don't know, maybe it was just the example. But if, if it was any other genre, like, so I guess you could take punk rock, for instance. Like, punk rock came from a philosophy that tried to propagate anarchy and rebellion and anger. But then if you listen to each song, that's not necessarily the message of each song. I think that you have to ask, is there, uh, does the authority of Christ end at a certain location, or does the gospel's ability to transform end at a certain location, or at a certain genre? And the answer is no. The gospel and Christ's authority are meant to transform every area of life. There's, there's no such thing as a no trespassing sign when it comes to Christ's authority and when it comes to the gospel's ability to transform. But you are saying that there are songs and artists that can't be redeemed in that way. I was talking about genre, like you were asking about jazz. So like, there's not like Christians can transform. Oh no, I know, but I'm bringing, but I'm bringing it over into the category we had previously. Yeah, I think that once you start talking about artists, so there's a difference between music in itself and music once people touch it. Express it. Yeah, exactly. And so there's, I would, I would draw a line there and a distinction. And I would say that if, if a certain artist is continually putting forth a message of foolishness. And uh, then that's not someone that a Christian should consistently listen to. Yeah. Because a, a companion of um, fools will be destroyed is what Proverbs says. Sure. One thing that needs to be added to this conversation is conscience, which is a very deep topic, very broad. If your conscience is being violated by something, you shouldn't be listening to it. And if your conscience shouldn't be being violated by that thing, then you should pray that God would mature your conscience. Resting with a sensitive conscience is not uh, scriptural either. We're told to grow up in Christ. I, I would also add, her. because I, st- I, I kind of struggle with the other end of that, and people are like, well, your conscience should bother you about this. Okay, let's uh, let's move uh, let's move on to the second topic, unless we have any thought, last thoughts on this. Josh, you submitted a question that we wanted to kind of discuss a little bit um, in, in our in our show prep meetings, our intensive meetings. The question that you submitted was, why is it that two Christians can listen to the same sermon and one think it was terrible and another find it life changing? Hmm. I remember one specific incident in college that there was a chapel message, and I was like, I got nothing out of that. Immediately after it was over, Daniel came up to me and he was like. That was amazing. Second example, I was in a church service. I thought it was one of the best sermons I ever listened to. Like I took extensive notes. I thought it was so good. Afterwards, I went to one of my friends and I was like, wasn't that fantastic? And they looked at me and they're like, are you kidding? And I I said, no, I'm serious. I took all these notes and they're like, oh, okay. Like they didn't say the words. That was really bad, but I could tell they were thinking it. And yeah, my question was, why is that two Christians can listen to the exact same sermon? One thing is great and one thing is terrible. Dan, what are your thoughts, buddy? I'm thinking of a specific message even one time that I thought was great that 
Josh didn't think was great. This guy basically came to the table and was like, I'm just going to do this because I think it's in philosophy, so I'm going to apply it to our Christian subculture. I don't know. And I think that the reason I liked it so much is because that's what I was thinking about. That's what I was going through. That's what I was interested in in the time. So sometimes like someone will open up a text and do a terrible job, but maybe that's what someone is thinking about in their Christian life. Maybe that's what they're praying about. Maybe that's what they're reading. Like Because they're so involved in that specific topic or in that specific text, that any sort of pooling, regardless of whether it's done well or not, is going to impact them. And it's going to make them feel like God is speaking to them because that's what they're asking God about. Yeah, so I think there, I think there are basically two like factors at play with this. There is the subjective this sermon really spoke to me in my place mm. factor. And then there's the, that sermon was objectively good as in delivered well, researched well, written well, all the factors that kind of go into what makes a good sermon, a good sermon, where regardless of how it impacted you, even if I disagree with his exposition of it, I still need to admit that he did a good job exegeting the text. Like that could be a line that you take. Whoever is exegeting the text, like they're not perfect. And I think we need to understand that they're not going to do a great job every time. They're not going to nail it on the head every time. Um, That's something that I, I used to have a really high standard for. People are sinful and skewed and like not awesome. <laughs> when you look at a text, like say you take like a few verses out of Romans or something, there are several ways you could go with it. And there's several stylistic ways that you could, and there are points that you may not emphasize and points that you will emphasize and things like that. And I think sometimes we can kind of say that a sermon's bad because they didn't hit this point in the text that we think is probably the main point or they didn't unfold it the way we would have liked them to unfold it. But like you said, I think at some point we need to realize that like they didn't think that that was going to be the correct way to do it, uh, where, where someone else would say that they did, um, is some sort of a personal uh, influence on that. This is just something I have to grow up into. And it started my senior year in college, me understanding this, being more generous in my sermon evaluation, because I tend to be a very critical person. I took a class in my undergrad on Augustine, Life and Theology of Augustine. And this was probably the biggest practical thing I got out of it was Augustine talked about uh, in his understanding of loving love of God and love of others. He, he talked about, uh, you know, if there's somebody who preaches a text and he, he does not preach that text, you know, like he does a poor job. Augustine said, however, if love of God and love of others is preached, then the text is preached. And I think that if we allow that to influence our sermon evaluations, then we're, we'll become much more generous and much more gracious with others. Now, he, Augustine does go on to say, but someone should go up to him and show him, hey, there's a, there's an easier way to get there. It's like if someone took the long way around uh, a, a river, this is the illustration Augustine uses, if someone takes the long way around a river, someone should go and show him that there's a bridge. But if he still got to love God and love others, then he still preached the text. I, I know that's a graciousness that I'm learning to apply to my own life. Yeah, that's a really uh, a really good thought. Both both sides of that thought. Criticism, especially very uh, pointed criticism, is painful, but it, it really is helpful. Like, really helpful. If the Bible is preached and a Christian gets nothing out of it at all, then it's likely a problem on their end and not a problem on the preacher's end. If you approach every sermon saying, I am being led by Christ my shepherd into green pastures, right now and by still waters to have my soul refreshed and i'm here to feast on christ and to understand christ if you come with that attitude you're going to get something out of it even if even if your expectations are slightly disappointed because 
unfortunately, there's there's someone who isn't as skilled presenting the word. God is still speaking, just in the fact that his word is opened. And Christ, your shepherd, is the one who has led you to this particular pasture to feed on right now and by this particular stream. And he has deemed it, you know, as long as it is the word that's being preached, he's deemed this to be green pastures and still waters for you this Sunday. That's a great thought, man. That's a great thought. Um, any uh, any follow-up with this? Or should we move on to the last topic, which we promise will be a later one? <laughs> you gotta go soon, boys, so... Alright, let's uh, let's move on to the last one real quick. Boys, the trailer for Stranger Things Season 2 is upon us. Um, how excited are you guys for Season 2? Mm, on a scale of 1 to 11, I would say I'm at least 11. Mm, mm. so my a friend asked me have you seen the trailer for the second season and i responded <laughs> by saying no does 11 turn 12 <laughs> they looked at me and they were so disappointed <laughs> they didn't laugh they just said dude don't don't say that that's not funny and i was like what they didn't think it was funny man dude, i'm getting old that's get the problem some, and you did get some friends that laugh at your joke i would say your reaction i would honestly say that your reaction to the trailer is going to be determined by whether or not you're a baptist or a presbyterian like mm. i i believe that with all of my heart I personally apologize to the throng. I brought a legitimate concern to the table, and it has been racketeer like a ping pong ball. Dude, we listen, listen. In all seriousness, we appreciate all criticism, but we like to make jokes, and some of this should get cut out. Like we do appreciate all criticism. We we appreciate all feedback, but we especially appreciate feedback that boosts our ego and that tells us how great we are. Do we only accept, in the words of Michael Gary Scott, constructive compliments? <laughs> okay so the trailer okay here are my here are my thoughts as i'm watching the trailer first of all i can't wait secondly as i'm watching it the whole time i'm thinking where's 11 like is 11 really dead and then at the last second you see 11 like in the upside down trying to reach through to the normal world and then it ended and i was like oh my gosh this is awesome and then immediately i thought where is barb is barb really dead <laughs> barb is dead man i wanted to come back i've always felt bad for her barb you know antisocial you know it doesn't doesn't get invited to parties finally goes to her first party gets eaten by the demigorg <laughs> <laughs> Dude, she is the girl version of bad luck brian <laughs> 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 oh man and you know what though i bet right before she died the thought that went through her mind was you see this is why we don't go to parties i should have stayed home and read another novel there's always one person that gets eaten at these parties there's always one and now my first one is me it's like i knew that Nan that then seventh nancy drew book was the way to go and i chose to come here instead and now this is happening no man i'm For sorry nancy drew no, no 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 if it's barb you know it's it's her 107th nancy drew book it's not her seventh. oh dude okay in all in all honesty because barb did show up i think in the last episode last year and she had like that little snake thing coming out of her mouth i think barb is alive or at least there's potential to get Barb back. That maybe Barb could be like the Will. Barb is the only other character we know that's still there besides Eleven. And Eleven can kind of fend for herself, but Barb can't. So I think there's a very real sense in which Barb could be the Will of Season 2. I think that you have a point, Josh. Uh, but I, don't, I just don't see everything being about rescuing Barb because they seem to not really care. 
That's what I'm saying, dude. They seem to be like, well, anyways, uh, let's all sit around the couch and <laughs> smile at each other. And uh, is C-Barb still being alive and them getting her? But only because they're trying to find Eleven, not because they care about Barb. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, yeah, and there's Barb. Let's grab her. Do we have room? Do we have room in the vehicle? Dude. <laughs> okay, we have a room. Oh, sorry, Barb, we don't have another seat. No, but... uh. <laughs> we'll be back we'll come back we'll make a second trip if they can find a way to like make barb valuable and i i mean that in a way that like important to not not because like she has value of course but like important to the plot yeah but that's kind of what people loved about her too though is that she she's she's the the hipster hipsters think that they're unique and that like no one else is like them and that they're not that important that's the point like people felt like they were barb like i'm a weird <laughs> person in a world where no one else is like me and i'm lonely you know what i mean no. Dude, it's going to be interesting. I think that she's not going to be mentioned ever again. That's my prediction. The writers were probably like towards the end of the process and like, dude, we totally forgot about Barb again. How are we going to oh, include her? Oh, yeah, they're like, oh, we're in the last episode and we forgot about Barb. We got to somehow mention her. Okay, let's just have her be dead. It's the only way that we can do this. They might come across her body again, but it's going to be interesting. Where'd Josh go? I think we, I think we cracked that egg. Dude, we, we made that omelet, man. We made that omelet. Josh, any last thoughts, buddy? Have you Has Josh gone into the Upside Down? Is Josh the next Barb? Dude, I don't even want to joke about throng, that, man. The, the Throng. The Throng will have to tune in next week to find out if Josh is the next Barb. And for that, I'm going to say good night and good luck.